DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation, presents The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. Father Trainer serves as the rector of St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver, Colorado. He has been an instructor and spiritual director for many of the programs at the Institute for Priestly Formation. He is a retreat master and spiritual director who has traveled the country as a speaker for various conferences, diocesan gatherings, and national conferences. He is the author of The Parish as a School of Prayer, Foundation for the New Evangelization, on which this series is based. The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Scott, thank you for joining us again. It's great to be back. Thanks so much. We've covered many things in the conversations prior to this one in which we've looked at the new evangelization is that call to re-evangelize, essentially, those, the baptized, to reawaken that relationship with the person of Jesus Christ and deepen our relationship in the Trinity with Christ in the Father and the Spirit. And we've had discussions that have kind of broken open some areas which may hinder that deepening of communion, of communication, of prayer. And we've spoken at length about fear and a lack of trust in suffering and the wounds that we have. And that's a very, very real element in this new evangelization is listening and helping to process through the very valid pain that we feel as individuals, no matter who we are, whether we're really rich or we've experienced uh, a, a type of poverty, the thing is pain feels like pain no matter who you are. Right. That's absolutely true. And the I think the worst part of pain is the fear that it's going to continue and just get worse. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing quite as enjoyable as a pain that I'm suffering when it's relieved, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think of just simple things like you get the brain freeze, right? That hurts. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to, like, let's go. Like, it feels really good, that kind of warmth yeah. that comes over your head, you know, after the brain freeze is gone, just as a trivial example. Um, and there's, there's just two ways to suffer. I can suffer alone or I can suffer in union with Jesus. So we had touched on this in an earlier conversation, but this is really so important because uh, it's the difference between true and false suffering. God, either when I'm in pain, either wants to take the pain away or draw me into union with Jesus in the midst of the pain that actually transfigures the pain and the pain becomes sweet and non-burdensome because of the love that's with me, because the pain that I'm experiencing there, which is true suffering, is a pain in union with Jesus. It's Jesus's own suffering, which is all shot through with the Father's love. So it's instructive for us that Jesus, when he rises from the dead, he still bears the marks of his wounds, but they're no longer wounds unto death. They're wounds that 
their places in his, that reveal his suffering, but reveal more the surpassing power and the victory of the Father's love over that suffering. They're glorified wounds. One of the root meanings of glory in the Old Testament is the Father's loving gaze on his child. Mm. Think about that, right? Like, we use the word glory all the time at the Mass, and we're a glory people. But what is that? It's living in the Father's love, his, receiving his loving gaze, which overcomes wounds that are unto death that cause us pain, right? So that's always the movement of the Father's love, which in our daily lived experience is either going to take that pain away or draw us into a union that transfigures the pain where the glory of God is what's the dominant experience, even though the suffering may continue. Help us to know in our prayer how by opening ourselves up, even in that pain, yeah. How can it be transformed? Yeah. How do we unite it with the suffering Christ? Sure. Um, it's to offer it to him and invite him into it. And then Jesus is the one who can decide what to do. Because if that's his suffering in us, then he can uh, open the eyes of our heart to the reality of his presence with us that lifts the burden and makes actually the suffering sweet. Or if we invite him into it and it's not a suffering he is inviting us into, he is free to uh, overcome it, to get rid of it in our lives, to heal it. And so this is reminding me of a time I was on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, which was uh, just in the weeks before I was ordained a transitional deacon. I highly recommend, if it's possible, if you're going to be ordained a transitional deacon and uh, you can make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, go for it. It's Mm -hmm. well worth it, right? Well, we were uh, in the part of our pilgrimage in the Golan Heights in Caesarea Philippi. And this is where Jesus turns to the apostles and asks, who do people say that I am? Right? So we were visiting the historic site of that conversation, which is in the Golan Heights. Now, the Golan Heights is on Israel's border with uh, Lebanon and Syria. And a couple things about it. First of all, um, it's seen a lot of suffering. There's been a lot of wars back and forth across that. Uh, frontier uh, in the past decades and historically. But it is a beautiful landscape. I, it's remarkable. Uh, there are treed parts. There are open parts. It's hilly. Uh, it's amazing. It's just a beautiful, unique landscape. And what really struck me when I, when we were touring there was in the soils, uh, in the ground, there was all these different colors it wasn't just dirt color, uh, greens and reds and yellows and all sorts of shades and tints and really strikingly beautiful. So at a certain point, we're back on our tour bus and we're going up into the heights of the Golan Heights. And we were on like a one lane road. So I don't know what happens if a, another car comes the other way because we were taking up the whole thing. And we're winding our way up and I'm just soaking in the beauty of this geography. And at a certain point, uh, as I was driving along, like something wasn't quite right with the scene. I was, and I, I couldn't pin down what that was. Like, what? Just something out of place. And eventually, I looked down right on the side of the bus, and I saw there's this barbed wire fence. And about every 50 yards or so was a sign in three languages that said, Danger, do not enter mines. So this whole beautiful landscape of the Golan Heights is closed off 
because it's been ravaged by war. And there's landmines everywhere. And if you go out there, it's going to blow up. And that's not good. So <laughs> this struck me like a ton of bricks. It was a funny moment because uh, I mean, it was so powerful. Like I went up front where uh, our bishop, Bishop Carlson, was sitting. I'm like, Bishop, can I, can I share something with the guys? And he kind of looked at me like, uh, are you sure? And I'm like, listen, you're about to ordain me a deacon. So if I'm, you're not trusting me now, come on. <laughs> and he, he laughed. And so I got on the line. And it struck me. And this is what it struck me about. Is this, this whole geography, it's like a perfect image of the human heart our heart, in the reality of sin, okay? So your heart and the heart of every person listening is a unique and unrepeatable masterpiece of God's love. It is a beautiful geography that God intends for people to be able to be welcomed and to enjoy, right? So when we are in friendship or relationship with someone, what do we do? We welcome them into our hearts, which of course is vulnerable, but it's beautiful, and we all can savor with gratitude. And let's take a moment to savor with gratitude the hearts of the friends and loved ones in our lives that we've been welcomed into. Like, Lord, thank you for the beauty of creating our brothers and sisters and for the goodness of our friendships and loving, close relationships where we're drawn into the depths of beauty of one another. Thank you, Lord, for that. Well, of course, we're all broken people and we sin against each other. And so when I welcome someone in my heart and they sin against me, it's like they're walking along in this geography and they take out a pickaxe and whack. And that hurts. That's painful. And as we've discussed earlier, if the love of God doesn't come into that hurt, what really happens, even though I can kind of smooth it over and say, especially for a generous person who has a good life, like, oh, it's easy enough to say, well, that wasn't that big a deal. Just kind of smooth over it and move on. Well, if the love of God has not come into that hurt, it's like a landmine that's been planted there. And then we kind of smooth it over and we move on. But what happens is, you know, the same person in relationship or some unsuspecting person that we're in relationship with can come a little too close to that place where we were hurt. And what happens when you come too close to the landmine? It blows up. And that person gets hurt and I get hurt. So what do landmines look like in our life? We have all had this experience where someone will say something or do something and we react maybe with anger or with a real sense of sadness or hurt. And I just realized like the energy of my response to that was out of proportion to what was really going on there. Like a, in a few moments later, I can think. And that can be a cause of wonder. Like what's going on there? What, what's Well, that's a landmine that just went off in your heart, you know? And we're not dumb. So if that happens a time or two around a place where we're hurt, what do we do? We put up like a fence in our hearts. And we say, you know what? You're welcome to come in, but don't go near this. Because if you go near that, boom, it's going to be pain and you're, you might get hurt and I'm going to get hurt again. And so, you know what? We're just not going to go there. Okay. And I suppose if that happened once or twice in life, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But this happens again and again and again in our lives. And... If what we keep doing is putting up fences, pretty soon we're not free to welcome people into the God-created beauty of our hearts. Our hearts become narrow and constricted, and the only safe place to go is one little windy road. It's all this other beauty, but it's inaccessible. One little, and that's where we can start to feel like we're in a rut in our relationships, in our lives overall. I'm just stuck here because 
out of fear, if I go somewhere else, somewhere new, something might blow up. And finally, in terms of the bad news, uh, if you leave, even if we succeed in not blowing up the landmines, if you leave a landmine long enough in the ground, it actually leaches out these very caustic, poisonous chemicals. It ruins the soil. Uh, you need like a super fun cleanup team to get in there to restore what has been poisoned in the soil. When our hearts, that starts looking like the things that surround those hurts, resentment, fear, bitterness, resignation, uh, sadness, self-recrimination, lies that we believe about ourselves, right? These are all words, by the way, of spiritual desolation. If your listeners are familiar with the beautiful teachings that come from St. Ignatius and in our day so beautifully given by Father Timothy Gallagher, uh, if you haven't listened to those presentations, listen to them now. They're just amazing gifts. But So the whole reality of spiritual desolation, the enemy attacks us where we're weak. Uh, the desolating spirit loves to live and nestle into these places of woundedness and stir up spiritual desolation, which is a real stumbling block to our life of prayer because I don't feel like praying when I'm desolate. You know, I don't feel like God is close or that he's listening or that he cares about me or if he did, that he could do anything about it. All of that is common in spiritual desolation, which attacks us and feeds off of these wounds, these landmines in our heart that are safely behind our little barbed wire fences. So that's all the bad news. The good news is that Jesus, our Savior, is like the divine bomb squad. He knows where every one of these little things are buried in our hearts and he is powerful to disarm them and to completely restore anything that's been damaged uh, in that woundedness. And so when we welcome Jesus into our hearts, he walks with us as we are. And so we're in our hearts living in this little windy road. And Jesus is with us. And he's happy and delighted to be with us. But every now and again, he'll do something very distressing. He'll go diving under the barbed wire fence. And he'll be like, hey... I know there's a hurt right here. There's a mine right here. Will you let me address this? And that's a real moment of decision. What does that look like when I'm praying? What that looks like is I'm talking to God about whatever's on my heart and mind, and all of a sudden something from my past comes up that I thought I'd dealt with and moved on from. And it can be distressing. Or maybe all of a sudden I just start feeling like this anger coming up in my heart. I don't know what it's attached to. And when I start talking to God about the anger, he reminds me of a moment where I was hurt and this anger is living around that hurt, right? So something comes up. Mm -hmm. This is Jesus. He just dove under the barbed wire fence. He's like, hey, there's something right here. And we have a real choice. We can either let Jesus into that memory, again, by telling him all about it and asking him to address and reveal his love with us and his presence, his presence with us and his love for us in that situation that hurt us. Or we can just keep going. Like, Jesus, I'm terrified of that. Never mind. Let's go on here. Right. And usually what that means in a person, their daily prayer life is they find excuses to stop praying. You know, like, oh, sudden things, I was doing pretty well, taking time to pray. Something came up. It was really unsettled and unresolved in my heart. And it kind of freaked me out. And even less than fully consciously, Consciously, I can just seize on excuses in the coming weeks not to find time to pray. Mm -hmm. Or it can be a more explicit like, no, I'm too afraid to give that to you, Jesus. And then if we say no to Jesus in that, something mysterious happens because he still accompanies us. 
but it's like his love and attention is focused on that thing. And it might be three weeks later. It might be five years later. This is what happens is I'll come right along and I'll be back in the same spot, the same hurtful memory, all the junk that surrounds it. And Jesus standing there, will you please let me address this? I beg for the grace myself and for those who are listening to us today that when we experience that, we would have the trust to say, yes, Jesus, I want to give this to you. I know you won't cause me more pain, that you want to relieve me of this burden. You want to restore me and set me free. So I can take down the barbed wire fence, all that energy, all the coping mechanism that I've used to safeguard that place in my heart. Just you take care of it, Jesus. Please, God, give us that grace. So um, when we do, Jesus never fails. He knows how to disarm that. And all I have to do is pay attention to what has stirred up in my heart there. Tell him all about it and ask him to come into it with healing. Reveal your love, reveal your presence, bring your healing to this moment. And we're set free. Jesus sets captives free. Uh, you know, when Jesus came to, uh, was it Capernaum or Nazareth, where he unrolls the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, right? And I've come to bring liberty to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, healing to the lame, to proclaim a year of favor to the Lord from the Lord a jubilee year to set us free from these debts and deficits and wounds to heal us, to set us free. This is what Jesus came to do. And it's what he comes to us every day to do in our life. And we only have to say yes. Now, whenever I, I share this uh, experience in the Golan Heights, I hasten to remind people, you never want to go poking around in a minefield by yourself. Like, Hey, are there any mines out here? That's hazardous, right? Mm -hmm. So the good news is we don't have to go digging after any of this, but something I do in my life and I encourage anyone who would ever have a chance to share with to do is on a regular basis. I do this a couple times a week. Jesus, is there any place in my heart that you desire to touch with your healing? Then I'll just ask him that question and I'll be silent for five or 10 minutes. And if a memory comes up and it might be just something like, oh, this cashier was rude to me today which is contrary to the love with which I'm meant to be treated at every moment. Great. Or it might be something that happened a couple of years ago that was really, really hurtful that I thought I had moved on from. And it might be something in between. Well, so Jesus, is there anything in my heart that you want to touch with your healing love? And I'll just be silent. Five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. And if nothing comes up, fine. Then I just move on to whatever else is on my heart and mind that I want to converse with Jesus about. But, if something does come up, I pray with it in just this way. Tell him all about it. Ask him to come into that moment of that memory that came up. Reveal his love and his presence. And Jesus knows, as the divine bomb squad, the divine physician, he knows what order, what depth, what frequency, what intensity to touch on these things in our heart. So Jesus knows that as rector of the seminary, like I have stuff I need to do. Um, he's not going to like rip open all these old wounds in my life, right? So I'm like curled up in the corner for a month in the fetal position, right? Mm -hmm. He's very reverent. He's very gentle. He's very wise. He knows what order, what depth, what intensity, what frequency to go after these things in our heart to set us free. He knows how to do it. 
He's powerful to do it. His power is surpassing to accomplish it. And he desires to do it in love for us. He wants to set us free. So uh, that's my encouragement for uh, everyone who's with us today to ask Jesus, Jesus, is there anything in my heart that you would like to touch with your healing love? And then just see, see what comes up and encourage you to pray with that, anything that the Lord brings up. I'm not digging after it myself, but giving him the opportunity to highlight, oh, this is what I'd like to touch today. He won't bring something to mind if he's not ready in this moment to give the grace for its healing. A key to this is silence, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, do we do we give him the opportunity by just yeah. but we don't we're not comfortable with silence, are we, Father? No, we're not comfortable for the silence precisely because all this stuff that's buried in our hearts. All the things that's that uh is not at peace in our hearts, right? All that stuff is terrified of silence, right? And you know, we live in a culture of distraction. And this is a huge tactic of the enemy because if he can keep us uh, distracted with enough noise, whether it's physical noise or just the busyness and pace of life or all the entertainments and the media input that's coming at us everywhere you go, there's a screen, there's a speaker, there's stuff, the hectic uh, paces of life, all of which militate against silence. Right? Mm-hmm. As we're talking about these essential habits of prayer, being aware of what's going on in my heart is the first step, right? I can't really relate to God, honestly, about what's going on in my heart if I'm not first aware of it. And noisiness in life, distraction in life, uh, militates against that awareness. Silence fosters it. Again, when we go to pray, uh, we want to give ample, ample time to silence. I'm writing a companion to the parish as a school of prayer, uh, delving down, driving down into uh, one of its topics, which is the Mass itself, how to pray at Mass. Well, the Church herself calls for generous silence in Mass, especially after the homily and after communion. And growing up and in a lot of parishes I've been at, not necessarily the experience, but I've tried over the years as a priest to introduce silence into the experience of Mass, especially at those moments after we've heard God's word, after we receive communion with him, so that in the silence, we can hear God speak more clearly in our hearts. His word is powerful and effective. It brings all things to life, right? It recreates us. It's the source of our healing. God speaks and it is accomplished. So uh, silence is the necessary condition to receive God's creative healing word. Um, but we are afraid of it. And we don't have to beat ourselves up for being afraid. So I can just tell God that. God, I'm really afraid to take these moments of silence. But help me to trust in you that you will bring to the fore those things you most want to touch with your healing love. Yeah, Silence is huge and necessary for our growing intimacy with God. So silence uh, is an equal opportunity amplifier. It will amplify everything that's in our hearts. Those movements in the heart that come from God and the good spirit, and also those things that come from my own heart and from the enemy. Okay? But to live a life of discernment, which is the handmaiden of prayer as growing intimacy with God, I need to be aware. 
So become aware, understand, take action. That's the paradigm of the discernment of spirits, the discernment of these different movements in my heart um, to live a discerning life. Well, um, so I need, this is again, rooted in trusting God and his unconditional love. So when I enter into silence, if I'm really angry and resentful, anger and resentment is going to be experienced more intensely. But thanks be to God, because then I can bring it to him and ask him to come into that anger and resentment and whatever is behind it, right? Mm -hmm. So we need not fear whatever's in our hearts, because if I'm uh, committed to entrusting my heart to God as it is, for to, so as to receive his unconditional love, his love will reorder anything that needs reordering. It will silence the enemy. Look at Jesus in the Gospels. When he rebukes the evil spirit, Satan is silent. There's no fight. There's no competition. Jesus is Lord. Satan is a rebellious and fallen creature. There's no fight. Jesus commands silence. He's silent. Jesus can silence those thoughts, feelings, and desires in our heart that hinder our relationship with God and carrying out God's will that come from the enemy like that. So we don't need to fear even like messed up stuff that gets amplified in our hearts in silence. But this is why we avoid silence because we're really afraid like, oh no, I think there's something lurking there. Ah. Um, but there's things that are affecting us that are at a, that we're not fully conscious of either blessings that are just kind of quiet and graces that get amplified in silence or temptations, attacks from the enemy that really hinder us, but we just don't really attend to. So we're not able to uh, resist effectively with the help of God's grace because, well, I'm not even really aware of it. So listen, silence is an equal opportunity amplifier. It's, it makes louder and more distinct Everything that's moving in my heart, which is a great blessing. It's necessary for prayer as growing intimacy with God. It's necessary for real discernment, which is the handmaid of prayer. And we have nothing to fear in it because God knows it. Uh, he knows it perfectly and is ready to bless and give us the grace and blessings that we need in the face of whatever is going on. What would be the assignment for the, the student listener? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Silence doesn't happen without effort, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I think maybe in our first conversation suggested um, just taking some time in your day and letting yourself be aware of God's loving gaze upon you. Well, uh, <laughs> in a busy and noisy world with our busy and uh, full lives that can be kind of noisy in different ways and pulling us our attention in many different ways, Make an intentional choice to have silence. A silence just to rest. Maybe it's in the chapel before the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, maybe it's in your home in a quiet place. But to carve out, maybe it's in the car. For a lot of busy families, like the only time you're going to get silence is in your car with the radio off, of course, right? Mm -hmm. And in that silence, to attend to the reality of God's loving gaze and then just see what's cooking in your heart. Again, that amplified awareness is the first moment, uh, it's the second moment of prayer, recognizing God's presence the first. And then secondly, in that presence of God, what is going on in my heart that I can entrust to you, God? Well, that's helped by silence. So yeah, 
think it through. Talk about it with your spouse. Honey, how can we help each other to find 20 minutes, a half hour of silence? To help find places of relative silence in our lives that really will foster um, our daily encounter with God in prayer. Thank you so much, Father Scott. You're welcome. You've been listening to The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join us next time for The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer.